Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Last week, finished up 1 Peter and uh, talked about humility. And as a piece of that in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, I wanted to start off with this section of 1 Peter 5 verses 8 and 9 where it says, be sober minded, be watchful. Everyone say watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Uh, It's no mystery that the enemy is on the prowl every day, consistently. But oftentimes, while we may acknowledge and recognize that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, while we may recognize that, uh, we don't often live in a way that is sober-minded or watchful in that way. Uh, this becomes especially true in the life of the church when we are prone to talk about the things that we want to talk about and not talk about the things that we may find we don't want to talk about. Uh, when we uh, find it easier to have conversations around joy and uh, satisfaction in Christ and rejoicing and uh, the grace of God, the goodness of God, all of these things, and we go, yes, this needs to be a regular part of the conversations we have because in Christ we have been given the greatest joy ever given to mankind. It's what we celebrate this time of year. And yet we need not make that the sole focus of our conversations as we recognize the danger that exists for the one who is not watchful and is not sober-minded and may simply give way to the enemy's workings in our individual lives and that pours over into the life of the church. Uh, We're no stranger to how this becomes fleshed out and uh, many of you have been directly impacted by the shortcomings of people and choosing their flesh over what God would call us to. And so today we want to just take time uh, prompted by our elders, the spiritual shepherds of our church, to say over the last couple of years we've just seen uh, families destroyed, marriages wrecked, 
relationships shattered. We've seen spiritual lives depleted. All at the whim of what we would label in a biblical sense as sexual immorality, but is really just choosing self over that which God would call us to. Now, I'm going to show this picture. Okay? Now, we all know what this is. It's not hard to discern. And it's the same picture that's on the sermon notes handout that you have today. And I, I entitled this message, Don't Take the Cheese. Because it paints a really vivid picture for us of something that may seem appealing and yet is extremely dangerous when we get down to it. And we tend to think about something like that. Every time I see one of these, my fingers start to hurt. Because we all know it doesn't take much for something that seems rather appealing to the person who enjoys cheese to go, this is not going to end well for some unsuspecting mouse. Now, there's more to this image when it comes to the fact that uh, if you've ever set one of these out, you find that uh, at times the mouse may even be able to get some bits of cheese without springing this trap. And over time, it may cause them to come back, convincing themselves that, well, you know what? I did it before. It didn't hurt anybody. And yet, the end result is inevitable. And so, I, I want us to read in First Thessalonians 4 and see uh, Paul's words very specifically to the church at Thessalonica. And it's really in kind of their final words here in the last couple of chapters of First Thessalonians. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and we're going to talk about that, and then I'm just going to give us some real practical application and action steps so that we can be watchful and sober-minded. Fighting a battle against the things that are often kept in darkness, because I'm confident That if we don't address these things and we don't seek to walk in the light and bring that which is hidden into the light, we will not move further as a people. We will not grow as God has called us to grow because we will be living in sin in the background while claiming to follow Jesus in the foreground. Uh, That doesn't work. And we need to fix our eyes on that which is true. So here's what Paul wrote. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. 
For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, when we first approach this text in the first couple of verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, what we see is... This exhortation, not just asking, but urging. You'll see both there. We, we, not just, we don't just ask you, but we, uh, we urge you to ultimately let your striving to please the Lord increase. Now, when someone first comes to faith in Christ, this is not difficult for them. Because they're so excited in their understanding of what Christ has done for them. That it just becomes second nature for them to say, I want to, I just want to do the things that, that, that I'm supposed to do in Christ and I want everyone else to know that the people have to know this hope. But over time, what happens is we become kind of cultured and accustomed to allowing that to, to subside. And, uh, even we talked about in my Sunday school class this morning, we can become prone to be content having a knowledge of biblical things without actually letting them carry over into action that we take. If we're not careful that uh, we can talk the talk, but when it comes to my daily walk, we just it, it's not there. And yet Paul's encouragement and urging to the church here. That as you've received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing. So there's some encouragement there that you do so what? More and more. That this would not be something that ceases, but actually increases. At the end of the day, what we can understand from this is as long as you and I have breath in our lungs and Jesus has not returned... There is still more growth that needs to happen in us. That until Christ returns and takes us home, or we leave this earthly body to be present with the Lord, we should be aiming to increase how we please the Lord more and more. There's never a time in our life where we are mature enough to go, Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've learned what I need to learn. I've grown how I need to grow. I've done what I need to do. There's, there's never a point where it stops. And so the, the encouragement here is, may you seek to please the Lord more and more based in what you have learned and how you should walk, how you should please God and the instructions given to you in Christ. Now, if you're here today and you go, I don't know how I should walk or how I should please God or what instructions I've been given in Christ, then we're really glad you're here. And what we have found is that the only source that we can find to be reliable when it comes to answering the question of what has God called us to as a people is God's Word. His Word. Uh, That's why we say we teach from Scripture alone because there's nothing else in the application of how we're to live that matters. So, if you're in that place where you're not sure what that looks like, start reading Scripture and praying that God would make it clear, and He will. Now, as you continue on in this text, and you see in verses 3 through 6, it makes it really clear what the will of God is for His church. 
Verse 3, it says, this is the will of God. Don't you love that? I love when the Bible does this. You go, I don't have to wonder. Uh, And in fact, this is one of the places I point people to when they say, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. Uh, The will of God is your what? Sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Uh, Now, sanctification is just kind of a big word for being set apart. And is re-emphasized even later when, in verse 7, where it says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Uh, The process of sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. The will of God for his people is that we would be a people set apart and living lives of righteousness and holiness with the example for how to do that being Christ himself. Over and over and over again, we see throughout scripture the call in the New Testament, especially fix your eyes on Christ. Follow the example of Christ. When he sat with his disciples in John chapter 13, he said, love one another as I have loved you. Serve one another as I have served you. Sanctification should be the aim of everything we do. And anything that hinders sanctification should be the things that we remove from our lives. Now, when I say anything that hinders sanctification, the Bible would say anything that hinders sanctification. (laughs) We don't like that. Because I'm going to tell you, we are a people who love comfort and convenience. And if there is one thing in the Western culture that has hindered our sanctification, it is our pursuit of the comfortable and the convenient over that which God has called us to in Christ. And what you're going to see is as we pursue the things that are comfortable and convenient, it leads to a way of living that often results in pursuing my fleshly passions, my fleshly desires over that that God would have. This would be why... Right after, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is paired with abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, when we read this, we need to be able to answer the question, what is sexual immorality? And really, basically, sexual immorality is any sexual practice that moves outside the boundaries that God has given. Any, any. And what we're prone to do is when we come to pastors like this, we have our own idea in our heads about what sexual immorality is. And so we we might in our own minds have the idea that, well, sexual immorality is physically being unfaithful to your spouse. Well, yes, that is one example. Uh, but sexual immorality would also be uh, failing to understand. Jesus said, if you look at someone with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. And all of a sudden we go, oh no. That expands this a great deal. Sexual immorality carries over into even what we see culture identifying as sexual norms. And saying there's a reason that we as a church stand firmly upon what God has established as 
true when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage. That if we choose to live outside of the bounds of that, then we choose to live in sexual immorality. Now, there's a piece of this that we need to come back to and understand. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. There's not varying degrees here of sexual immorality. And it's a really important truth that we as a church need to acknowledge. If I choose to look at images completely inappropriate, then it is sexual immorality in the same way as if I were to be with someone who's not my wife. It's the same. If I choose to be in a homosexual relationship, it is sexual immorality in the same way as the person who is choosing to look at things that are inappropriate. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. And it's, it's time that we stop labeling degrees of sexual immorality and going, this is wrong. And this is stuff that's hidden in the darkness and that the enemy is using to sabotage the church. Uh, it's a reason I'm convinced why more people are not serving. Because they look at themselves and they go, I know what I'm, do- what I'm struggling with behind the scenes that's kept in the darkness. And I don't want to put myself in a place where that's potentially going to be exposed. And when we come to First Thessalonians, we need to understand this is not a new thing, family. And in fact, if you were to go back in Bible times and look, you might ask the question, well, okay, I, I can easily pull apart what sexual immorality looks like today. Uh, but what would it have looked like then? Well, I'm going to tell you that you entered certain towns in biblical times and prostitutes lined the street, lined the, lined the roads. You have multiple exhortations in different places of scripture telling people not to sleep with their father's wife. You, you have things happen. This, this is not a new thing. And yet somehow we've become accustomed that we just don't talk about it. Uh, we, we feel strange and talk. Family, God gave his people the gift of the sexual relationship at the beginning of creation. And we have squandered an inheritance given to us and allowed culture to define it. And not just allowed culture to define it, we have allowed ourselves to become entrapped in a place where many times we have a skewed view of even what a healthy biblical sexuality should look like. Verse 4, the exhortation is that each one of you know how to control his own body, or some translations may control their own vessel in holiness and honor. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, sanctification demands there be a difference between those who follow Jesus and the world. If we just adopt the way the world goes about, then we are not walking in obedience to what God has called us to. For God has not called us, this is verse 7, God has not called us for impurity but holiness. The gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ, makes a way for us to please God despite our sinfulness. It does not cause God to approve of our sinfulness. If I have no desire to please the Lord, then I'm probably not saved. And this goes back to the 
encouragement that you would be seeking to please the Lord more and more. That you would seek to grow in sanctification more and more. If I have no desire to please the Lord, then I really need to evaluate whether or not I'm saved. Because the will of God is that the church would be growing in sanctification. Why are these exhortations so important? That's where verse 7 answers that. Why is this important? God has not called us for impurity, but He has called us in holiness. Multiple times Jesus says throughout Scripture, Be holy as I am holy. His prayer, even in John 17, while he's in the garden before he's crucified, is that his disciples would be one as he and the Father is one. There would be unity around that which matters. And yet, there should be a weightiness that comes in verse 8 when we realize, why should we be active in rooting out sexual immorality from amongst us? Why should we be active in recognizing the part we play in encouraging and allowing this to be a reality that we fall into? Well, verse 8 says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but who? God. Everyone say God. And it's God who gives the Holy Spirit. Which means if I have received the Holy Spirit from God and I continue to choose my own flesh over and over again, I am squelching the influence of the Spirit in my life. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here, here's, here's, my, here's my concern, family. Uh, I'm concerned at statistically how many of us live in sexual immorality in the darkness. And we don't talk about it. We don't share that, those struggles. Maybe we've shared them in the past. Um, and, and that didn't help us, and so we just quit even trying to fight it. Uh, this is not a, this is not a struggle that, uh, I'm unfamiliar with. And, uh, parents, I'll tell you that this is happening at an alarmingly younger rate than you would ever dream it would be. Uh, it's time for you to realize that we're not talking about junior high and high school, we're talking about middle school, where this stuff is being talked about and exposed. Which means uh, you need to be having the conversations with your families about these things much sooner than you are. Um, I, sat, I sat in a room of a thousand people at a marriage conference uh, two years ago. And they asked, they asked the room of a thousand people, how many of you's parents had conversations with you about sex? And I think there were 50 hands that went up. Out of a thousand people. And yet that's the narrative. Right? Oh, you know, we just don't talk about it and it'll all be good. It won't be good. It won't be good. The, the average age of being exposed to explicit content is, is, is between 9 and 11 years old. And yet we aren't doing anything about it. It's often at that stage of life that addiction forms and these things become aspects of, of life that plague them. And they don't know how to, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to walk. And 
most of the time, it's completely well-meaning people that you, you can't control every aspect of what your child is exposed to. For me, I was nine years old, and I had one sleepover to grandparents' house where I had untethered access to cable television as a nine-year-old kid and flipped to the wrong channel. That's it. And through high school and into college, I battled a major addiction to viewing things I shouldn't have been viewing. And it took a lot of people in my life and a recognition that I have the choice to pursue freedom in these things. To find freedom from that. But freedom in that doesn't mean the temptations don't exist. It just means the guardrails have to be set up consistently. It means that I have to regularly recognize that to walk in holiness as God is called is me choosing if I'm going to be obedient to God or not. Because the one who disregards this disregards not man but God. It's a choice every one of us has to make. And if we make the excuse, oh, it's just too hard. First Corinthians 10. No temptation has overcome you that is not what? It's common. It's common. There is nothing we will be tempted by that is not common. In other words, the enemy may, enemy may try to isolate you and say you're alone in whatever struggle you're dealing with. Not true. Because there's no temptation that's overcome you that is not common to man. But God is faithful He will not let you be tempted, what? Beyond what you can bear. You know, that verse is often mistranslated to God will never give you more than you can handle. No, not true. God will often give you way more than you can handle, so you rely on Him. What it says is He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, every time we're tempted, we have a choice. Every time we're tempted, we have a choice. And the verse goes on. It says, he will provide a way of escape that you will be able to stand up under it. If I fall into sexual immorality, it is nobody's fault but my own. Because in that moment, it means that I chose to walk in disobedience to God's word. And I chose my own way instead of the way of escape. It is nobody else's fault. I have to own that. And we will own that before God. Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. I, as I've talked with several brothers about this struggle, um, one of the frustrations that's often communicated is uh, accountability is often the first thing that's discussed. And yet so many people find that accountability doesn't work. Because what happens is, you get together and you go, oh, I messed up. Oh, yeah, I messed up too. We suck. And that's all the farther it goes. But here's, here's the thing. When authentic accountability is labeled as ineffective or anti-gospel, it misunderstands that the gospel came to transform, not give license to. And if I'm looking for ways to justify my own sin and blame others for wrongs I've committed, then I am not following Christ. If I can shove that aside and say, well, accountability didn't work, so I guess I'm just stuck with this. Well, no. I have a responsibility to follow Christ. And I, that means I have a responsibility to do whatever I need to do to get in a space where I'm pursuing holiness, not selfishness.
Now we can see a passage like this in 1 Thessalonians 4. And we can see the correlations to our picture here. About how easily we can become entrapped in this. Uh, Family, this never... Sexual immorality never happens like that. It's it's never a, a momentary thing. It's rooted in so many other aspects of life. And sexual immorality becomes a way of us dealing with that. Instead of going to the Lord. Instead of going to a place where I'm saying... How do I follow God in this? How do I seek His will in this? How do I seek His purposes in this? And instead we go for the cheese. Because it looks good and it's readily available. And in the process, you're going to get snapped. You're going to get snapped. Realistically, how do we do this? Application. How do we walk in sanctification? Uh, The first thing we need to do is we need to ask questions. What, why, where, and when? If we can cling to the promise in 1 Corinthians 10 that says, I know I'm not being tempted beyond what I can bear. I know there's a way of escape. I need to identify the root cause of why I'm struggling with this in the way that I am. And it doesn't matter. Like if Each one of the situations that you may be encountering may be different. For some, it may be viewing things you shouldn't be viewing. For others, it may be that I am in an inappropriate relationship with someone, whether it be an emotional relationship, a physical relationship, or any other kind of relationship that is crossed lines. And you know it's crossed lines. If you're in Christ, you know it's cross lines because the Spirit is convicting you and going, hey, this isn't okay. And you feel uneasy. So this is not a foreign thing. Or it might be that you just indulge in ways of thinking about things or people that is inappropriate, whatever it may be. I need to answer the question. First off, what am I tempted with? What is tempting me? And it may be a physical, it may be something physical. Like, I am tempted by my device. I'm tempted by the TV. I'm tempted, you fill in the blank. It may be, I'm tempted by being around this person. I'm tempted by social media. I'm tempted, you fill in the blank. What is the source that I'm tempted with? I need to answer that question and write it down. Then after that, I need to answer what is probably the deeper question. Why am I tempted in this? Why is this a temptation? And what I, when, when I, I stopped and thought about this, these are the, some of the reasons that I could think of why we may be prone to give in to temptation. And there may be more, but this covers a large grouping. Uh, the reason why I'm tempted. Maybe that I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I'm sad, I'm stressed, I'm shamed, or I'm tired. All of those can contribute to me being in a state of mind where I'm way more prone to give in to temptation. And family, if I'm bored, find something to do. Right? But we, we, 
much too easily desire to be entertained. And that is largely due to a culture that just pushes that. Entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. And we become so needy for entertainment, we don't even know how to be still and just have a conversation with the Lord. Let alone with one another. If I'm bored, I need, I need to find something to do. Something productive, something helpful. If I'm lonely... I need to look for authentic community that I can immerse myself into. I would be the first one to tell you the people who become the most ingrained into church life are the ones who come in not to check a box on Sunday. They come in to be a part of a community of people and they look for that community. They go, where can I plug in? Where can I be involved? How can I surround myself with people? So that I'm not just sitting by myself. They don't wait for it to come to them. They seek it out. If I'm angry or afraid or sad, that brings about another why question. Why am I dealing with these emotions? What's at the root of that? Those are the real issues that need dealt with. And all we're doing by stepping into selfish ways of dealing with that is slapping a band-aid on an open wound. That just is going to break open and continue to seep out. If I'm stressed, I need to identify the source of my stress. If I'm feeling shamed about something, I need to identify the source of my shame. And if I'm tired, I need to go to bed. I had a professor in school that once said, one of the most spiritual things that you can do sometimes is take a nap. And it's true. Sometimes if you're in the middle of being tempted to step into something that you shouldn't be stepping into, the best thing you can do is shut everything off and just go to bed. Take a nap. Rest. I need to be able to answer the question, why am I tempted? Then after that, it's about when. When and where. Am I most likely to be tempted? You may have certain locations that you have to stop going to. You may need to take steps to make sure you are not left in places by yourself because you know you're prone to fall into temptation. What am I tempted with? Why am I tempted? When and where am I most likely to be tempted? And then... What actions do we take to battle this? This is where the rubber meets the road, family. How do we fight these battles? And this is what I wrote down this week. Priorities, proximities, people, and prayer. After answering the questions above, you're going to have a list of things that demand action. And here's where the choice is made. You can either choose... To sit with the answers to your questions and do nothing about it and be unchanged. Or we can choose to take action and actually stand up against our own flesh. Priorities. Are our priorities focused more on our convenience or our maturity in Christ? Do the things that I put at the top of my list have more to do with me Or God. Do our priorities declare that Jesus is the king of our life? 
If we allow our priorities to become skewed, we should not be surprised when our lives become skewed. So, the first action step we can take is to evaluate and change our priorities. Proximities. This might be the easiest thing to change, and yet the most common that we are unwilling to change. Proximities asks the question, what do I need to remove myself from in order to prevent further temptation and sin? At the end of the day, what are you willing to remove from your life so that you become more like Jesus? Fighting a battle begins by removing yourself from the proximity of the weapons used to harm you. If social media is causing temptation, I need to remove access to that. Don't delete the app. Delete your account. If it's causing you to stumble, get rid of it. If TV is leading to sinful thoughts or habits, smash your TV. Sell it. Give it away. Get it out. Remove it. Change your proximity to it. If texting or messaging someone is leading to temptation, I need to delete their contact info and change my phone number. And you may go, that's ridiculous. Is it? Your sanctification is not worth sacrificing for your convenience. But this is what we do. If viewing content on my phone is leading to sin, I need to get rid of it and, and, and switch to a device that doesn't tempt me. Do you know they still make flip phones? We laugh because it feels archaic, but I'm telling you. In fact, today, there actually are multiple companies that are coming out with minimalist smartphones that don't give people access to the internet. Where you can get a phone that has calling, texting, email, and GPS. No social media. No access to the internet. No access to apps. I think we would benefit from that. But here's the thing. We've got to be willing to fight the battle. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago as I was cleaning up farm equipment. And this guy said that he had a conversation with someone who came up after a talk he gave and said, oh, I'm, I'm just really fighting a battle with viewing things I shouldn't be viewing. <clears throat> and he said, well, what is the medium by which you're struggling with this? He said, oh, it's my phone. And then he asked, well, where's your phone right now? Well, it's in my pocket. Well, you're not fighting a battle at all. Because the very weapon that's being used against you is still in your proximity. And you may go, well, I, I, I have to have this for my work or for other things. No, you don't. No, you don't. What are we willing to give up in order that we walk in holiness and righteousness and not in the way of our flesh? You see how there's a difference between being willing to take drastic steps and 
For some people, they may not need to take those drastic steps. You may just need to get an old school alarm clock so your phone's not sitting next to your bed. They still make those. You may need to set up regular accountability that monitors what you see on your phone. I currently get emails for about six different brothers in Christ who practice that. About half of those are on the West Coast. Guys that I worked with in Oregon to walk in freedom in these things. The resources are there, but we have to want it. We have to want it. People are the people that I'm surrounding myself with encouraging me towards sanctification or are they pulling me into the world? Some of you work in environments that are really toxic in this way. Yes, you can be a light in those environments, but those cannot be your primary social circles. How can I surround myself with authentic community who's going to point me to Christ? That's a good reason to come on Sunday mornings, but an even better reason to engage regularly with brothers and sisters who desire this. And the final action step is one that seems really simple, but we really don't practice it enough, and it's prayer. It's being willing in moments of weakness to turn to the Lord instead of to whatever medium we want to find encouragement or satisfaction in. It's going to be the one place where if we can quiet ourselves before the Lord, that's when He will remind us of truths like 1 Thessalonians. To please the Lord more and more. To walk in this way more and more. To pursue holiness, sanctification, and to not let these things go by the wayside. Now, in all of this, I recognize this is a heavy message. But family, this begins in each one of our lives by making the the willful choice to say, I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to assume this isn't a problem when it clearly is. Uh, This is happening in the church. These things are hindering people's growth. This is happening around you. And it's time we bring it to the light. The gospel, the good news, is that there is hope in Jesus. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.16 and 17 says, But walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We have the ability to rise up over these things and to walk in freedom. We have the ability to strike down these wolves that prowl around in the church and say, we're not going to play into this. 
But it begins by us saying, here's where I've contributed, (laughs) and here's where we're going to go. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to fix our eyes on the Lord. We're going to be honest about our struggles. We're going to confess our sin knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a hope in Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have that hope, then your takeaway today is to know there is freedom from any bondage in Christ. It's been made possible through his death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that he's going to come again. That this is not the way things will stay. We will not struggle against sin for all eternity. But we will battle our flesh until we're with the Lord. And fighting that battle starts by saying, I choose to follow Christ. If we haven't chosen to follow Jesus, we haven't even stepped onto the battlefield. We've just given over all weight to the enemy. So what I want to challenge us to do, I'm going to have the worship team come. And they're going to play a song first. And while they play that, I want to encourage us to just pause and reflect. What's going to be affected if I take the cheese? What's that snap going to result in? How's it going to affect my relationships at home, at work, here at church? What's the emotional toll, the spiritual toll going to be? And what's the first step that I can take today? Now, as part of this, too, I'm going to sit down front here. And if you're going, I'm fighting this battle and I need I need prayer. Then I'm going to encourage you to come up and I'm going to pray with you. But know that that doesn't that is not some magical power. Um, Me praying with you isn't some wand that's going to resolve the struggles. There's only one person who can bring freedom, (laughs) and it's Christ. And then after this time of reflection, we're going to sing one more song that declares we are more than conquerors through Christ. And I'm just going to encourage you, family, to fight this battle with me. Because uh, the church has been losing this battle for a long time. It's time for that to end. It's time for that to end. So will you join me in this pursuit and this fight for the things in the darkness being brought to light? Will you join me in fixing our eyes on Christ and pursuing all that he has for his church and his people? Will you join me in humbly recognizing that we are a sinful people in need of more than ourselves? And knowing that there is forgiveness and hope and healing and transformation only in the name of Jesus. Amen? Father, may we be a people who are set apart, who pursue sanctification. May we be a people who recognize the battle belongs to you. That we would fight this battle your way and not our own. We trust you to convict, to change, to transform for your purposes. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.